God's people seem to disappoint us. And we're going to see an incident where the Lord's disciples disappoint this gentleman, although the disappointment of this man isn't the point of the, the message, nor the reason I believe that the scriptures are not. But I might want to encourage you with the fact that if Jesus' disciples disappointed people, then it's probably understandable that all the rest of us disappoint others. And so if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 17, we'll start with verse 14. Looking at Jesus' earthly life and ministry, he has just come down from the mountain and where he had been transfigured. Now, Jesus, I'm sure, didn't have a mountaintop experience in the sense of he is God. Everywhere he went, he was God, so he took God with him. Peter, James, and John, having been there, seeing Jesus transfigured, having seen Moses and Elijah, I bet that was a pretty exciting event. So now they come down from the mountain, and it says, When he came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, having a, when I was in high school, I took four years of Latin. There are a few Latin words that I remember, and luna is one of those. Luna means moon. And there is, even in our culture today, you'll hear about, well, when there's a full moon, people just act crazy. So that's where you get the word lunatic from. So this guy is crazy uh, and, and whatever. And so the diagnosis from his father who's seen him is that I got a crazy son. And he does crazy things. He falls in the fire. He falls in the water and he's harming himself. And I was at my wit's end and your disciples were out there and they were healing and preaching and teaching and doing all of these things. And they couldn't do it. And they couldn't cure him. And Jesus, being mild and mannered and meek as he is, and Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here. Now that's a pretty stinging rebuke. And Jesus seems to have said this a lot. Have I been with you so long you don't know who I am and you don't know what's going on? And he's, he has diagnosed the problem, not the person's illness, but the disciples. And so he says, bring him here. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Now, in my limited theological knowledge, I think I've discovered why the disciples, in a certain sense, couldn't cure him. Because they misdiagnosed the problem. They thought the problem was psychiatric. The problem was spiritual. He had a demon in him. So when you're trying to cure somebody of a broken leg and they have lung cancer, you're not going to be successful because you misdiagnosed the problem but they have a deeper problem that the disciples have. 
So Jesus cured the boy at once. Now I want you to understand, it didn't take a long period of time. It didn't take weeks. It didn't take moments. Immediately, he was cured. Then the disciple came to Jesus privately. Now they're showing smarts because you don't want to be, you know, when you get something wrong, you don't want him to tell everybody what you did wrong. You want to find out privately. So, okay, privately. So, so they came to him privately and said, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. He doesn't say because the demon is strong. He doesn't say because the demon is powerful. He says because the littleness of your faith. For truly, and whenever Jesus says truly, the next words are on the test, okay? For truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, if I had a mustard seed and put it between my two fingers, you couldn't see it because the fatness of my fingers would cover the mustard seed. That's how little it is. And Jesus says, when he said, you of little faith, means their faith was less than a mustard seed. Because if they had the faith of the size of a mustard seed, they would have said, be, they could even talk to a mountain and say, be moved. Now I want to talk about two things. Faith and non-faith. You see, in our culture, especially in Western Christianity, we have a tendency, if I just have enough faith, something can happen. If I just have enough faith, I'll be cured of some illness. If I just have enough faith, I can accomplish these things. And so you'll have pastors say, well, God spoke to me and said X, Y, and Z. And everybody believes they said, he said X, Y, and Z until it doesn't happen. That's why I'm always conscious, very aware to say, I think God has said. Because I know God is never a liar. Which the only answer is, then I am. So if I say God said something and he didn't, I lied. All too often, we think of assumption rather than faith. We think if we assume something, it will come true. And if we are just strong enough in that assumption, that that will happen. Jesus didn't say, if you assume something, it will take place. He said, if you have faith. The only way to have faith is in response to what God says. Now, I've said this before. And I'll probably repeat it throughout my ministry. You will hear some people say, God said it, I believed it, that settled it. That's wrong. God said it, that settles it. Then it's up to me to believe it. And faith comes by believing what God said. And then acting on what God said as a reality. So I want to talk about the importance of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, it says this in verse 
What is it? Verse uh, 6. And without faith, and without faith, and without faith, it is impossible. It is not possible. It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who, mind say, seek him. I believe King James says, diligently seek him. So first off, if we want to be pleasing to God, then we got to have faith. Not assumption, which means we need to study the Word of God more to know what the Word of God says so that when He makes promises, we can rely on them. In the Old Testament, in the Torah, God said, if you get away from me when you're in the land and you don't follow me and you follow after other gods, I'm going to stop the rain. And if you don't celebrate certain uh, celebrations like um, the Feast of Booths, I'll hold off the rain. God said it. Then several centuries later, when God's people didn't do and follow him, he told Elijah, pray that it doesn't rain. Elijah prayed that it didn't rain, and it stopped raining for three and a half years. And it took Elijah's prayer again to start the rain. It wasn't Elijah's assumption that if he prayed, it would stop raining. It was the Word of God who told him, and the Word of God before that said, pray this, and it won't rain. So Jesus makes a crazy statement. He says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move, and it will move, or nothing will be impossible for you. Now I want to talk about moving mountains. In Isaiah chapter 64, with verses 1 through 4, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As a fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. And when you did awesome things, which we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quake at your presence. For from the days of old, they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has I, the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Moving mountains is not a matter of saying, well, look how much faith I have that I can move mountains. Moving mountains is so the people who are opposed to God might understand who God is. Mountains quake in the presence of God. Those are mountains moving. But Jesus is going to move a mountain even more than that. In Zechariah chapter 14, after there is the discussion of how bad things are going to be around Jerusalem, and it says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. 
In that day, his feet will stand on the mountain of olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the mountain of olives will be split in its middle from the east to the west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half towards the south. Talk about mountains moving, moving so far apart that there will be a valley that God is going to accomplish his purposes. We frequently are always praying, Lord, give me more faith. I do. I have. And if you truly understand faith, you understand it's not something that you work up. For the scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So all too often we're always praying, Lord, give me more faith. When in reality, what we should be saying is, Lord, may I use the faith you've already given me. Because he says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move, and it will be moved. When God tells you to say, move that mountain, it doesn't take a lot of faith. So can you imagine how little faith the disciples had at this moment? When they said, if you simply had the faith of a mustard seed. And nothing will be impossible for you. But there's one more verse I want to share before I go back to the text. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the first few verses. It says this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Isn't it interesting we're always seeking for God to give us more faith. When all the, the, the faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains and nothing can be impossible. And as the word says, without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. But even as Paul says, even if I have all faith, it's all been accumulated to me and I have not love, I am nothing. So as important as faith is, and as awesome as faith is, and how underrated faith is, love is still more important. At the end of this chapter, he will say, there are three great things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love, because faith is only necessary for you and I to walk on this earth to believe that there is a God and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Because when we go to heaven, we will see him face to face and we'll have no need of faith. We have a hope that we will enter into his presence. But when we enter into his presence, we no longer need hope. But since God is love, he will still be that when we're in his presence. 
Love lasts in eternity. So faith is important. Faith is necessary to please God, but not great faith, not overpowering faith, simple, small faith. But without the love of God, so what? Now I'm going to clean up a few items at the end of the of this. In Matthew 17, there is a little um, blurb at the end. This says this. That's if I find 17 again. Okay, in verse 21, if you have a New American Standard, you will see a bracket. Your Bible may or may not have that bracket. Some Bibles don't even have this verse. What does that bracket mean? That bracket means that in some of the older and earlier translations and, and manuscripts, this verse isn't there. I'm not smart enough to know whether this verse belongs there or not. I will tell you, I don't think it should be there. And I'll give you my reasoning for it. But what I will say is when you see that bracket, don't build your theology on what's in it because it may not be a part of the Word of God. It may be. I'll give you an example. Our uh, Catholic uh, brothers and sisters, when they do the Lord's Prayer, they don't do the end of it that we do. Because the end of it, as we have, is bracketed, which means some of the ancient manuscripts don't have it. However, it is still true that his kingdom shall come, his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, and it says, and his power and his glory forever and ever. Amen. That's true whether it's bracketed or not. Because it says so in other places of the scriptures. So I'm going to mention this. It says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I'll tell you why I don't think it belongs here. Because Jesus didn't rebuke his disciples for not doing the right procedure. The right procedure, according to this verse, is that you pray, you fast, and then it happens. Except in else places, people criticize his disciples and for Jesus for not fasting. And he says the reason they're not fasting is because the bridegroom's here. When I'm gone, they'll, they won't fast. So why would they fast when he's told them now's not the time to fast? The next thing I find interesting is, did you notice Jesus simply rebuked and called the demon out? He didn't fast. He didn't pray. Because Jesus has always prayed up. He doesn't need to pray at any particular moment because Jesus is always prayed up. It's kind of like, if you will, I'll give you an example of how you'll know you're prayed up. You're on an airplane. And it's going down. Are you praying? Most of us, probably all of us are, which tells us all of us aren't prayed up because we're not too sure what's going to happen. I suspect Jesus would have been in an airplane like he was on the boat. God's in, my father's in control. 
you want the plane to crash, fine. If you don't want the plane to crash, fine. I'm good either way. We see Jesus, not that Jesus didn't pray, we see that he goes off to the mountains alone to pray. So I'm not disparaging prayer. Prayer is an excellent thing. Jesus did it. If Jesus did it, Lord knows we needed more. But I don't think his rebuke is here. I think this was written to kind of make us feel better. Well, if we just do the right procedures, everything will be okay. Because how can we tell whether we have the faith of the size of a mustard seed or not? But we can do something. We can pray and fast. So my challenge to you and to me today is for us to kind of stop asking God to give us more faith. But start walking in the faith that God has already given us. Because if God, if, if God simply gave us the faith the signs of mustard seed, nothing is impossible for us. Well, if nothing is impossible for us, then what do we need of anything else? Once something is an impossible, then you don't need more of something to make it. It's like if you have enough money to buy everything you ever want, to do all the vacations you ever want, and to buy the best steaks you ever why do you need more money? You have enough money. If God's given us enough faith so that we can tell mountains to move, why not exercise the faith that he's given us? But to exercise that faith in love. Because let's face it. I asked the question, have people of God ever disappointed you? And all of I, we answer, yes. And sometimes they have disappointed us because they weren't able to do what we had hoped they would do, or they wouldn't be as consistent, or there at the hospital, or whatever the thing may have been that, that we were disappointed in. But if we believe that person loved us, we're not that disappointed because we know they loved us. I give my children and my grandchildren a lot more latitude than I do other people because I love them a lot. 